Hello, and welcome to Fangraphs Audio, episode number 1000. That feels pretty cool to say. This week on the show, Ben Clemens and Dan Zaborski get together to gaze into the offseason and take a look at the top 50 free agents list, which Ben published just this week. We hear about Craig Kimbrell clinging to his spot on the list, liking Brandon Nemo more than most folks, what Ben and Dan think the Red Sox might, or maybe should do, and taking some guesses at Aaron Judge's big upcoming contract. Ben and Dan also talk about Edwin Diaz signing with the Mets for a lot more money than was expected. And surprisingly, as I wrote about it, I didn't hate it. And I feel like there's people out there that are just waiting for me to hate something like that. Like Zimborski won't like yeah, a closer, closer money. Yeah. But it's fine. It was the Mets. I mean, it would have been funnier if it had been the Rockies, because I would have totally ripped it apart if the Rockies... <laughs> Spend four hundred million dollars on, a, on closer. a closer. Yeah, that's like getting a grand piano for your like studio apartment. Whoa, 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 whoa! I've been playing piano since I was five. That would be a great present. But how would it fit into your studio apartment? And what what would it do? Well, then that's my problem. There's no better use of space than a piano. Uh, allow me to rephrase. Then it would be like buying incredibly fancy wheels for your 1994 Honda Civic. Well, what if you really liked the 1994 Honda Civic? A classic. That conversation will be in the second half, but first, we must celebrate our podcast milestone. I've not been with the show for nearly all 1,000 episodes, but this week I went way, way back and pulled many, many clips, starting from episode number one of Fangraphs Audio, which aired on February 8th, 2010. Wow. There have been many great guests on the show over the years, and I couldn't possibly have highlighted them all, but I did my best. Let's call it an incomplete retrospective. There's a lot of Carson Sestulian here, of course. We miss you, Carson. There's also, of course, the Meg Rowley era, all the way up to episode 888, when we entered our current format and yours truly started piloting the ship. Thank you to everyone that has ever been a part of or ever listened to Fangraphs Audio. And thank you to all of the Fangraphs.com members and supporters who helped make this show go for over a dozen years. We couldn't have ever done it without you. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the first ever audio presentation from Fangraphs.com. I am Fangraphs contributor and occasional destroyer, Carson Sestouli. In today's episode, we bring you a roundtable discussion with three Fangraphs contributors whose names you will almost definitely recognize. Mr. Dave Cameron, Mr. Matt Clausen, and Mr. Eric Manning. Hello, listeners. You are listening to the maiden voyage of Fangraphs Audio. Um, I'm here now for the inaugural edition of the Fangraphs Roundtable. We'll see how this works out. I am currently joined, hopefully by cell phone, uh, Fangraphs editor, USS Mariner editor, king of the internet, David Cameron by cell phone? Yes, I'm here. Excellent. Awesome. That's great. Welcome to the Fangraphs podcast. Once again, I am Carson Stooley. Joining me today is a man who, for the certainly for the average Fangraphs listener slash reader, will need nothing in the way of the introduction. However, you will definitely know him from his his blog at ESPN.com, Sweet Spot, The Sweet Spot. His name is Rob Nyer. Hello, Rob. Hey, Carson. Hey, Rob. Uh, Rob, I think that it, it might be funny for our some of our listeners because they'll know that I live in Portland and they know that you live in Portland, uh, why, why we're doing this by phone. But it's it's because, uh, you know, you said straight out you wouldn't want someone like me near your house. <laughs> <laughs> to my right at this uh, fictional table is... Uh, social media butterfly and uh, man of of all fangraphs 
uh, sorry, I should say all fantasy websites. His name is Eno Saris, coming to us from Jamaica today. Is that right, Eno? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, <laughs> very good. Uh, you have the day off because it's a, is it a Rastafarian holiday? Am I correct? Am I correct there? <laughs> yeah, Rastafarian holiday known as uh, Good Friday. Good Friday. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, well, very. It's very good to have you on. Uh, you will. You'll be the. Uh, you'll be playing the part of our fantasy expert today. If you. Uh, if you accept that challenge. I will wear that hat. Okay. Good. Yeah, and the fact that you described this as an intimate conversation means that I. I might need to go. Oh yeah. Wait. Is it weird that my hand is on your knee? Because... Yeah, that, that is a little strange. Okay. I'll stop that right now. There's always that question. I mean, I've been asked this question a, a number of times, uh, including by members of major league front offices. If I, if I would be interested in working in a major league front office and. Usually my answer is something along the lines of, I'm willing to listen to anything you're going to offer, but uh, it's going to take a miraculous uh, offer to get me to leave my life that I currently have, because I've got a pretty good setup right now. And Dane Perry there. Yeah, speaking. Dane Perry, this is Carson Sestouli with Fangraphs Audio. Oh, you're using your radio voice, so that must mean we're actually on. Yeah, we are recording. As oh, okay. Excellent. Yeah. For our agreement. Yeah, well, that was last time, but whatever. Okay. No, no, that's going to continue to be the case. That's that's fine. That's fine. Hey, Appleman. Hey, Carson. This is Fangraphs Audio. Are you aware of that? Yeah, right. No, I I, I realize that. I'm I'm new to this. I've only done this once before. Do you know this is episode 100? No, really? Yeah, it is. I don't think that's true. You can look it up. I'm pretty sure it is. Okay. Well, I'll believe you. I, I, I thought we were getting up there, but I didn't think this was really 100. Wow. That's great. Well, we've done a number recently, and I will say that I'm not sure there are 100 good ones, so that's different. Well, I guess when I hired Dave and it was Eric and Mark Hewlett initially, I just kind of wanted to get good writers who would write about kind of stuff on their own. And if I thought it was really inappropriate or really just kind of not sound at all, I would say something. But other than that, you know, when it came to topic choices and writing style and all that, it was really up to them. And I kind of think that, you know, if people are good writers and, you know, they're good analysts, they're going to produce good work on their own without a whole lot of supervision. I know from the stuff that you published at Fangraphs, from what you published at Baseball Prospectus before that, you seem to be particularly adept at getting thoughtful answers from baseball players and I want to know, is it, is it a matter of the questions you ask? Is it a matter of the players you choose to ask those questions of? Or is it has something to do with, uh, I guess, just personal style from you that puts the players at ease? It is probably a combination of both. I think who you choose is probably the biggest thing. There are a lot of great baseball writers out there, but the expectations of what they're expected to get from players and what is going to be published has a lot to do with what they ask and why. I'm in a Boston market that has some fantastic beat writers, a couple of good columnists, a couple of awful columnists as well, but that's another story. And they basically have, I have nothing on them as far as knowledge or amiability, et cetera, et cetera. If I just have an opportunity, I'm fortunate to sit down with somebody for 10 or 15 minutes and present 90% of what they tell me. A lot of the, the other writers simply they get quotes. Maybe they're going to write a very short feature that gets edited down to something that's not so great. So I really don't know it's me, Carson. I just ask what I think is interesting, and I think I'm a pretty good editor. You know, baseball players are smarter than people give them credit for, and they should care about how they think about their craft. So this is no big deal, Grandpa? No. 
just a normal conversation. But I figured that uh, it's been the case so far that people have been amused by some of the things you have to say to me. Yeah? Yeah. Is that surprising to you? No. Well, you're... (laughs) You're good at... uh, You do give me quite a bit of advice. Well, first of all, do you understand what we're doing right now? Are we on stage now? We're on stage, yeah. Oh, I didn't realize it. I thought you were just testing me. No, I, well, everything I do for you is a test, Grandpa. That and that's right. reciprocated. And I pass all those tests. <laughs> this yeah. is a thing that I do. Is I yeah. record this audio, I put it up, and at least uh, 10 to 20 people listen to it each week. Yeah? Oh, yeah, very popular. Well, that sounds interesting. Yeah. Now, do you understand what I do, generally speaking, or what's your impression of what I do as a job? What's my impression? Yeah, your impression. I didn't know you were working at it. <laughs> <laughs> no, touche. You could go, could you, can you be, could you be louder? Or is this it? Is this full Brisbane? Yeah, what about this? Yeah, that's great. That's, that's good? Yeah. Does that's it, fine. does it get, does it get like the depth of my voice? Yeah, it's doing that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, for what's you know, <laughs> yeah, it's working with the raw materials. Do you see? Right, right. I mean, it's you know, you want to get fancy, but you want to get don't want to get too fancy where it like waters down the yeah the virility. Do you feel like uh, every minute, every minute your your daughter watches television, you just like like her chances of. Um, you know, full, full self-actualization decreased by a certain percentage. Yeah, you, you can say it. Every every minute that, that she's watching television pushes her closer to a state school. You can say it. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I graduated from a state school. I'm not ashamed of it. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> per Kylie's request, we will have a different musical introduction every week. I've allowed that on the condition that I'm allowed to say this, namely that I believe that the musical introduction... Uh, Kylie McDaniel has chosen for this week is silly. I believe it is silly, and I believe Kylie McDaniel is silly. That said, let's continue. Fellow Americans, it is with the utmost pride and sincerity that I present this recording as a living testament and recollection of history and the making during our generation. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Kylie. I used to move snowflakes by the OZ. I guess even back then you can call me. Highly. Fresh out the frying pan into the fire. I be the music biz number one supplier. Fly it in a piece of paper bearing my name. Got the hottest chick in the game wearing my chain. That's right. Highly. Not DOC, but similar to the letters. No one could do it better. I check chatter like a food inspector. I guess just by way of learning more about your, not necessarily your credentials, but maybe the thing that got you to where you are right now. I guess, how did that start? It sounded like when you were saying that, you were already with the Yankees. So maybe rewind a little bit before that, how you sort of uh, became aware of and, and became excited about the, the world of prospects within you know within the, the larger world of baseball. Uh, it starts on a cold winter day in Wisconsin in 1943. And then this is really where everything gets kicked off. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's good. It is, um, is it, hosted, is it the narrated by Tommy Lee Jones as well? <laughs> yeah, and Jim Leland smokes in the corner of the screen for yeah. most of the movie. So I, I'm 29 now. Yeah. To, to give context for people, I'm incredibly good looking. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> you've so, now got a mental image. Yeah, Brad Pitt's talking to you. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, this 500th edition 
sadly, of Fangraphs Audio. It's contributor to CBSSports.com's Eye on Baseball, Dane Perry. As is the case with all of other Dane Perry's appearances on Fangraphs Audio, this one begins... With a disclaimer, it begins with a disclaimer. If you've come to Fangraphs Audio looking for the same sort of crack analysis, which appears in the electronic pages of that site, do not listen. Do not listen to this. Don't listen to this. Right, but you're not you're answering a question I didn't ask. Yeah, I know, but I'm trying to answer yeah, Are you that answering question? the question that you know? You're like, I know the answer to this one, so I'm <laughs> yeah, just going right. to pretend like that's what you asked. Isn't that the strategy politicians use all the time? Oh, yeah, for sure. They answer the question that they wanted you to ask. Yeah, they just like you ask. Them. I think athletes do this too. Like yeah. you know, those post game interviews. Like, uh, what was it like to hit a home run off Kelvin Herrera in the seventh inning? And they're like, man, I really love my teammates. They, they're great. <laughs> they, he does love this guy. Loves his teammates. Yeah, I think uh, I am always amused at how unrelated the answer and the question are in those post game interviews. I was going to say that I think one of the sorts of Jess Sullivan posts you see is the pitch framing post. Is it true or false, Jeff? That is that is true. That is true. Um, you might be the league leader in pitch framing posts. Well, when you frame it that way. Oh, boo. Oh, hey. <laughs> I might be, but only because Ben Lindbergh writes less frequently, but that's at true. greater length. Greater length, yeah. There is the let's watch variety of posts. That <laughs> I think that's a newer development for you, but you've you've gone back to that particular well a couple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's watch. In the most recent case, was Araldis Chapman versus Javier Baez, which is amazing. You know, one time maybe. Oh, this is years ago. Five years <laughs> um, – it's a unit measure. Five years ago, say, in the early days of Fangraphs Audio, mm. I was prompted to update Skype. Shortly before I was going to have a big – I had landed a big interview with Keith Law of ESPN.com. Mm-hmm. Prospect analyst Keith Law. Yeah. And I had just updated Skype, and it crashed, I don't know, maybe five, seven times, and – uh I was still a whelp of a baseball writer and podcast host. Well, to be clear, what exactly do you think of yourself now? You know, there is something that happens with repetition. I think this is episode 600-something. God. Yeah, I know. No, no, I mean, that's <laughs> that, that brings about a whole other set of problems. But listen, I want you to know, Eric, uh-huh. Yeah. why you feel comfortable this is a safe space. Oh, that's good. And I want you also to know that... We don't necessarily need to do a deep examination of prospects today because it's my guess that certain of our listeners would want to know more about some general qualities of your approach to prospecting, and so that and we might come, we it might bring us to some specific examples. Mm-hmm. But this will allow us, allow me even, uh, it will give me some context uh, with which to read the work that you'll be producing for the site. That's always good, yeah. I think, considering it sounds like you haven't read any of it in the past. Excuse me. Excuse me. No, I. <laughs> now um, I'm going to start reading your stuff. I'd like to know a little bit about you. I'm well. Uh, <laughs> I'm well acquainted with your work. Did you know, Dane? Dane, did you know mm-hmm. that you're you're going to get roughly you're going to get only about ninety thousand BTUs out of a gallon of propane. You're getting about one hundred thirty thousand BTUs out of a gallon of number two heating oil. Do you know what BTU stands for? Yeah, British Thermal Unit. Make a solid jam band name. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't go see them, obviously, but... Did you ever go see Emerson Lake and British Thermal Unit? <laughs> Crosby, Stills, Nash, Young, British Thermal Unit. <laughs> oh, boy. And two, there are, there are a lot of Italian people there. Yes. And I pretend to be 100% of one of those types of people. I also pretend to be 
Mm. Well, in fact, the first time we met on Staten Island, you asked me if I was Italian. Yeah, I think I, I – in fact, I may not have uh, had any inkling, but I think that uh, – maybe it was because your hair is quite dark. Yes, and, you know, it was – when we were there, August. Yeah. We were there in the month of August, so um, the humidity was making sure that everyone saw my hair at its sort of <laughs> maximum volume. No, well, that's uh, – I mean, sometimes you have to pay extra for that. Yeah. You know, maybe we're getting it for free. Do you I, weaponize those metrics? Is that what I hear well, you doing? I, I have been – I've been known to uh, very casually and maybe kind of cruelly say, like, I just don't have time for catchers who can't frame well, which is, you know, I should that's shut cool. up. What a horrible yeah. thing. What a yeah. dumb thing to say. Yeah. And I don't say it much anymore because I I got my, my comeuppance mm-hmm. with – <laughs> with a not at all me related thing, which was Dan Wilson being a subpar framer. How many people started John Hopkins? How many people are there named John? I mean, there were at least two, right? <laughs> yeah, like attorneys general, right? Yeah, right. John's Hopkins. There were at least so two guys, right? Yeah, John and each John. Na- each, each name's John Hopkins. They're like, oh so god, we, we got to start a university together. <laughs> It's like, hey, hey, I'm interested in higher education. What about you? Oh, my God. I, <laughs> me, too. Me, too. Crazy. What's your name, John? What's your name? My name is John, too. Yeah, but what about your last name? Hopkins. No way. <laughs> no. No way. Get out. This is creepy. This is This crazy. is so freaky, you guys. Yeah. Gotta well, start you know what? If we're going to start a university together, <laughs> do, you know what, do you know how we're going to have to pluralize it? Johns Hopkins. I was uh, speaking with Jeff Sullivan, and we were looking for body comps for Jeff Sullivan. <laughs> and actually, you know, Jeff Sullivan's closest comp is Chris Sale. <laughs> which how tall is, is How tall is Jeff? I think he's six four, maybe. Oh, geez, yeah. I know. I mean, I've only I think I've only only met Jeff once or twice, and he's a pretty wiry dude. Yeah, I didn't realize he was six four though. Most like the average American man is usually like a a catcher. <laughs> yes, yes maybe like not maybe like Sick. tucker barnhart <laughs> do you feel like you could pair you could pair physically I, with tucker barnhart look i'm five nine and and not in the best shape of my life anymore <laughs> but, I, but i'm but i'm still i'm i'm still uh so would you say that you've uh you may not be in the best shape of your life but have you have you optimized your launch angles, Jay? I yeah, I'm getting better at optimizing my launch angles. I'm in the most shape of my life. Let's put it that way. <laughs> there is a superlative to be had. <laughs> well, that's very good. I kind of hoped I'd grow up and become Jeffrey Holder, but I didn't. Yeah, I think you stayed Dan Zaborski the whole time, isn't that right? Yeah, it's just just me. I don't have that wonderful Trinidadian. I can't. I can't say the uncola. Ha ha ha. Well, now you, of course, you're part of Team Fangraphs, so I can divulge to you, for example, that one of my duties includes the conversation I just had with Travis Sochik, who was trying to. He was trying to bully me into publishing his post because it's relevant. He says, but I'm not going to be bullied around. Zim oh, Borsky. Oh. I'm. I'm very very nice. <laughs> I'm. 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 I have never bullied anyone except merchants that displease me. Actually, I will. I will say I was surprised because I don't typically think of you as a, you know, as like a feeling human. <laughs> I did notice you know, your your comments in your uh, the post you wrote for today announcing your. Uh, I, I, you were... I can be warm. I just need I just need to wind myself up a little. Yeah. Uh, you know, watch puppies and and lollipops oh. and stuff. Hey, Nate Fryman. 
Yeah. <laughs> this is Carson Sestouli. Yeah, you, you came through as unknown, so. Uh, no, I'm go- I know. You should be cautious. Been, been yeah, you should be cautious. You don't no, know. I, I, I'm, I was relieved that it was you. <laughs> Do you have some debts to settle, Nate Freiman? <laughs> we can we can speculate. Yeah. So freely on that, I, I can't say for sure that I don't. No, I know. Yeah, that's right. Actually, one time uh, I attended for. Uh, <laughs> this is the work recording, by the way. So so you are everything <laughs> can and will be held against you at this point. Yeah, it's it's fair. First of all. Great job with the residency. Really interesting stuff. I'm really impressed with uh, all of your database work and your uh, your work with R. And uh, that dovetails nicely with your experience as a professional ball player. That's all I wanted to say. Well, thank you for having me, Carson. It's been it's been quite a pleasure working with you and with Meg. Some people with some real professional editing experience. I've actually learned a lot from from working with you guys. And I think that. My own writing experience is, is rather limited, and this has been a really good learning opportunity for me. Okay, here's another experiment. Here's another question for you. I'm going to read some words to you, Nyart. Is this, is this, is, are you comfortable with this arrangement? I'm going to read you some words, and I'm going to ask you who authored them. Yes. Does that, are you comfortable with that arrangement? The only thing I'm uncomfortable with is the likelihood that I'm going to blow the answers, but go ahead. Oh, no, don't worry. This whole program is a testament to failure. <laughs> okay. I have been following baseball somewhat obsessively for 35 years. I've been studying baseball somewhat obsessively for 25 years. I have been writing about baseball somewhat professionally for 20 years. Does that sound familiar to you? That sounds like something I might have written. Yeah, yeah it does. <laughs> but do you know where you wrote it? Uh, yeah. No, I do not. You wrote this as the foreword for Craig Robinson's Flip Flop Fly Ball. Of course. Carson, yep. you're you're abandoning us. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just dive right into that decision. Yeah, it's quite relevant to both of our lives. Yeah, really, it would appear to be. Uh, yeah, uh, abandoning is not the is not the word. Uh, for example, if I were editing a post that suggested that Carson <laughs> were abandoning fangraphs, uh, I might reach out to the author and say this word might not be most representative of what's occurring. Would you describe it as uh, committing a deep and lasting betrayal <laughs> that you will worry I think about every time I see you at future events? <laughs> it's not, that's, no, that's not actually not what I'm thinking either. Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, I don't think that I'm important enough to betray anyone. I think you need to have like a baseline <laughs> of relevance to the world or import, you know? Uh, yeah, I don't think I'm capable of betrayal. I find myself trying to decide like what of Carson to keep in the interest of people not uh, revolting yeah. and fleeing this podcast and what to not do. Like I find myself imitating him on accident when I do the intro. This uh-huh. happened twice now. <laughs> uh-huh. Song suggests a particular cadence that is very Carson-y. But I liked how he would he would just like start recording, start talking to you, and then it, it would end up in the episode. It would be like, oh. Is that is that you there? Would you like to join this conversation I'm having with a baseball friend? Yeah, it's sometimes surprising even to the guest. Yeah, <laughs> I try I try to give a little a little more heads up. You'll be introduced in in another intro where I will probably imitate Carson, but you're Sam Miller. <laughs> That's you. <laughs> okay. It's a me. <laughs> it's a me. Uh, hi Sam. Hey Meg. 
Ben, I'm so excited that you're you're joining the podcast. Uh, me too. People are going to be like, which Ben is this? Because there, there are a lot of Bens. So many baseball Bens. It's a great baseball name. It's a great baseball name. But you are Ben Clemens. That's and who you're you Meg are. And you're Meg Rowley? Yeah, uh, Dylan, yeah. maybe we should take that again. That was pretty bad. No, Sorry. no, it was great. We're going to leave that part in. <laughs> I, I told you before we started that we could take anything out, but I'm going to leave that one in because it's fine. And you're a recently new contributor to Fangraphs. Uh, yeah, I think a month <laughs> and a half, maybe. Yeah. So I thought that we would have you on so that our readers can get to know you, the one true Ben. <laughs> Sorry, Ben Lindbergh, my other podcast co-host. As the listeners of the first 887 episodes of Fangraphs Audio have probably noticed, it has been a while. I've been on hiatus, and so is the show. I didn't have time to do this show, at least not as well as it and you and Carson Sestouli's mustachioed legacy deserve. And so, we're going to take this opportunity to present to you the new Fangraphs Audio, conceived of by the Fangraphs staff. It will still be ably produced by Dylan Higgins and feature a bit of the old Herb Alpert flavor, but rather than have a regular host, it'll rotate. It'll be a show of segments featuring the work and words and interests of our staff and contributors. We hope that that format allows the show to grow and change with our staff and our readers' interests, and that it allows us to showcase a diversity of voices and a variety of perspectives, and that, most of all, it is fun and interesting to listen to. It has been a great pleasure to steward Fangraph's audio for as long as I did, and I couldn't imagine a better bunch of baseball nerds to hand it over to than the folks I edit every day, who routinely teach me something new about the game and often do it with humor and wit. It's not an exaggeration to say that we wouldn't be here to relaunch this show or do anything else if it weren't for the generosity of our community. We truly thank you. That is not election music. That is to celebrate the thousandth Fangraphs audio podcast. Now, I wasn't here for all 1,000 of those Fangraphs audios podcasts, but I am Dan Zaborski, and I have been there for some of them. Also present for some of them is my friend and colleague, Ben Clemens, who is also celebrating our 1,000th episode of Fangraphs audio. Uh, hey, Dan. Okay, I'm, I'm done laughing now. That was a... Uh... That was really impressive trumpeting. I, I I keep thinking that you have a little uh, little, little actual trumpet. Yeah, it's you know jazz legend Dan Zaborski with his trumpeting. Uh, it would be really funny if if then we discover a week from now that this was episode nine hundred ninety eight and there was a miscount of a double episode. And <laughs> Goes then to recount, there's some mail in episodes. <laughs> Well, it well you know there's, there's there's arguments about how many episodes of Star Trek there were, whether two part episodes count as one episode, whether three part episodes count as one episode. Those are poor arguments. Like do obviously they shows, count as two. Do clip shows count? Fifty years from now, you can find the lost episode of Fangraphs Audio while we film episode, I guess record episode twenty thousand maybe. How many we're doing a year? <laughs> 50, it wouldn't be twenty thousand. Probably not 20,000. We would have to increase the, the kind of, there'd have to be a, a real explosion in our podcast recording. We would have to have like, you know, like five episodes a day. We could do some um, some micro podcasting. Hello, this is yeah. Dan Zimborski and I'm at the grocery store signing off. Basically like that length. Oh, I don't, I, I would not record at the grocery store because at the grocery store, that's where I'm psychologically at my worst. <laughs> because I'm, people are not moving through aisles at all. And I have no patience for that. <laughs> it's not where I would have guessed you'd be at your worst, specifically the grocery store. I do share your frustration, but I feel like there are 
worst places like airports airports i'm at my worst i don't know airports i'm just always kind of depressed because i'm at an airport at a grocery store there's food you're going to eat so it's less depressing on that note, you know what is depressing is the end of the season if your team didn't win the World Series. But yes. less depressing less depressing is that now there's a whole new season ahead of us in a little bit, and anything could happen. Yeah, the, the sun never sets on the Fangraphs Empire, just like the British Empire, because the season goes 365 days a year, uh, 366 when there's a leap year, because... You know, this, the the speculation never stops. There's always something new happening. And one of those things was Edwin Diaz signed a big contract with the Mets, the first closer to pass the $100 million mark. And surprisingly, as I wrote about it, I didn't hate it. And I feel like there's people out there that are just waiting for me to hate something like that, like Zimborski won't like yeah, a closer, closer money. Yeah. But it's fine. It was the Mets. I mean, it would have been funnier if it had been the Rockies. Because I would have totally ripped it apart if the Rockies spent four hundred million dollars on, a, on closer. a closer. Yeah, that's like getting a grand piano for your like studio apartment. Whoa, 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 whoa! I've been playing piano since I was five. That would be a great present. But how would it fit into your studio apartment, and what what would it do? Well, then that's my problem. There's no better use of space than a piano. Uh, allow me to rephrase. Then it would be like buying incredibly fancy wheels for your 1994 Honda Civic. Well, what if you really liked the 1994 Honda Civic? A classic. A 90s classic. I had a 1994 Honda Civic that I absolutely loved. Oh, you had a better car than I did. What what year did you have this? Was it in 94? Uh, or was it? 2007. Okay, well, maybe. My, was that your first car? Uh, no, I had an 86 Toyota Camry before that. Okay, that was also better than my first car. My first car was a 1988 Ford Tempo. It was not a good car, despite the commercials for it. Because there, Ford had this ridiculous campaign for the Ford Tempo with, with like, you know, the like the 80s commercial chorus, because, you know, all those commercials had choruses with, that would sing music. And the song goes, pick up the tempo of your life. And then it tells you about how great. the Ford Tempo is made with the same tolerances as a Mercedes Benz. I'm like, no, I've that. I, I, I don't believe that. Yeah, that's that's really pushing it. I mean, I would have been much happier, I think, with the Mercedes than that car. But anyway, how Hot do you think? They're... From Dan. <laughs> well, luckily, Edwin Diaz is not a Ford Tempo. He's not even a Ford product. He's you know a a a sports car. I mean, I guess it I guess Ford GT maybe. But I mean, he's a dominant closer. And you look at his peripherals. There's no real reason to be worried about him. He's kind of ditched those occasional home runs, those additional walks. What do you think? Is this a Ford GT or a Ford Tempo? I think he's the um the Mercedes engineered to those higher tolerances or lower tolerances. I think lower. He's great and. Look, you can't guarantee closer success in the future and reliever success in the future in general. But if you wanted to find a reliever who is most likely to be good in the future, you'd want them to look like Edwin Diaz does, right? Where all the peripherals line up with the actual observed statistics and might even tell you that he's been better than the observed statistics. And not in one of these ways where, you know, he doesn't throw jaw-dropping stuff, but batters just can't square it up because he throws an invisible. No, his stuff is unhittable. It's obviously unhittable from looking at it. He harnesses it well. He commands it well. And as you mentioned in your article, if you just looked at his ERA, you'd be like, oh, I'm sure he got very lucky this year. And as it turns out, he got unlucky. Yeah, third, the third best ERA in history. Uh, I forget if I'd use 20 or 40 innings as the cutoff. The third best ERA in history for a pitcher who did not fall short of his FIP. So 
it was it was a pretty good season. And I, what always amazes about Diaz is that you you see his his fastball, which you know touches a hundred miles per hour, and it's not even really his best pitch. It's his slider. It's, yeah. it's like it's not even like the main course, and that's amazing. I like the Mercedes comparison because Diaz is expensive. He's awesome, and the Mets only need to have him for five years, which is kind of what you want to do when you're getting a, a Mercedes. It's a lease, yeah. Yeah, you don't want a twenty year old Mercedes. You don't want a twenty year old, uh, you know, Volkswagen uh, uh, Phaeton or Phaeton or however you pronounce it. It was this luxury car that they that they made twenty years ago, which they sold for like a hundred thousand dollars, and now you can buy them for like four thousand because nobody wants them. But you can still buy a twenty year old Camry and, and and pay more than that. Yeah, this has been Dan Car Talk. But basically, the Diaz signing I think is great, and I think as you pointed out, it makes more sense for the Mets than your average team because. They look likely to do pretty well elsewhere, and closers are kind of best suited for teams that are going to be in postseason contention anyway, where you can leverage the fact that uh, their innings matter more in the playoffs and also matter more in close games and stuff, because you're not going to be at 75 wins and really hoping to get a 77 or anything like that. I think it makes sense. They're not super budget constrained, but even if they were, like this is the kind of contract to a closer where you're not going to be just absolutely hamstrung by it. It's not you know, $300 million. It's five years at $20 million per. And if you're using some kind of dollars per war framework, it's not even like an overpay, really. So I just think there's a lot to like about it. And if I were the Mets and they somehow didn't get Edwin Diaz, I'd think, well, now we really have like no bullpen to speak of. And why, why not? Because we had this guy on the team, we should keep him. So I think very good job by them on this one. And of course, the signing of Diaz meant that you had to write a blurb for the number 51 player in the Fangraph's top 50 free agents. That loophole kind of hamstringing you at the last moment. Uh, I mean, this is not the first or last time that has happened. And if you want to know the actual truth, I wrote a blurb for number 49, Zach Eflin, because I really wanted to take Craig Kimbrell off the list for a long time. He was like a, he shouldn't really be on there. If we're getting down to brass tacks, I decided that I didn't like him that much. But somebody had already written a blurb about him, and it seemed kind of wasteful to just knock a guy off after one of our writers had done something. And so he just remained on the list, even though I, I didn't actually like him <laughs> as the 50th best free agent. And so when we knocked one out, I just graduated number 51 to number 49 and kept Kimbrell kind of pinned there. It's like, sorry, sorry th- you have reached the, the limit of your promotions. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I don't think that's actually what the correct way to make a list. But if we're being honest, the difference between number 40 and number 60 is irrelevant for these kinds of lists. But but here's the thing. When I, when I, when I look at the, when I look at like the crowdsource or your prediction for it, I would so much rather have Zach Eflin for one year, $9 million than Craig Kimbrell for one year, $10 million. Oh yeah. Yeah. I would too. I, I want to get, I want to get Kimbrell off the list. And I'd rather have that. And I'd rather have Jack Peterson at, at two nine. I'd rather have Hanniger at eight per, excuse me, not, not total per. I, there are two guys on here. And it makes me wonder who is 51 because I kind of wonder given the, my personal gulf between Kimbrell and then the the Eflin, Petters, Peterson, Hanniger, Vasquez tier above him. It feels like there's too much of a drop-off. Yes, you would like number 51 over Craig Kimbrell, too. Hey, who's 51? Robert Suarez. Oh, wait, is he a free agent? Uh, he elected free agency, yeah. Kind of oh, late. Oh, I did that, not that see that. Up. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that completely surprised me. Surprised me as well. So that, I think, Yeah, I would it... definitely take Robert Suarez over him. The reason that he's not on the list, uh, if we're being super honest, is that he didn't look super likely to elect free agency, in my 
opinion. And then he kind of did last second. And it was after we designed writing and done crowdsourcing and we didn't have one for him. And that felt like a lot. <laughs> I mean, he had a good, not amazing rookie season. Yeah. His ERA was solid, but his FIP was a little lower. He had probably a few more walks than you would like. And he doesn't have a lot of you know professional experience. So I thought that he would, in fact, stay. Same. This actually happened yesterday. As we're recording, this was yesterday, not relative to Friday, because we're recording now before the Friday that you, before the yesterday that you hear the day before on the day that you're listening to this. <laughs> Unwind that sentence. Yeah, good luck. Now I'm curious, how far can we go down the missed list before we get someone that Kimbrell is obviously preferable to? Let's do it. Maybe not that far. Adam Frazier. I think I'd still want Frazier. Wade Miley. Uh, I don't know. I guess maybe not that far. I mean, <laughs> Miley wasn't healthy this year. Yeah, it's, it's and That always one. scares me when a picture's not healthy. Actually, Wade Miley probably would have dropped further as I kept doing this. What about Seth Lugo? Now, let me think. Okay, you're the Mets, and it's the... And I don't know. I think I'd rather have Lugo in a tight game in the late innings than, than, than Kimbrough. Yeah, I, I think that one's debatable. Uh, Miguel Sano? Oh, I think I'm on Team Kimbrel. Okay. It's if I'm a contender. I think if I'm like the Royals. Right, then probably, you want to see even if you can Royals, spin, uh, spin straw into gold. Yeah, I, I, I should rephrase that. Probably not the Royals because they do have a lot of players at those positions where they so they shouldn't be playing Sano. If you're the Rockies. If you're the Rockies, yeah, I, I think I'd sign Sano and be the DH. All right, uh, maybe we have a difference of opinion there then. So we'll try a few different ones. Uh, David Robertson? Oh, I'd prefer to have Robertson. How about Joey Gallo? I think there's enough of a bounce back potential-ish. Yeah. I think there's some of that in Kimbrel too. I'm skeptical, but I think the, the pedigree will get him a decent contract. I think what it comes down to for me with, with kind of this boom bust guy, I kind of want to really have a huge payoff in the boom. If Joey Gallo becomes a league average outfielder again, right. you have a league average outfielder. If Craig Kimbrell becomes a league average reliever or or better or becomes, you know, above average closer, it's like, so what? Because you're not going to use him in the closer for most of the season. He's going to throw so few innings. It's not like after 20 innings, you could say, oh, he's certainly back now. He's back to Braves status. Right. You know, what's weird about him is he wasn't that bad this year. He felt worse than he was. He felt a lot worse than he was. He ended the season with a 323 FIP. 375 ERA like he didn't even have a bad ERA he had hugely negative win probability added because he had some memorable blowups and I, I think that has made it feel even worse than it was and his fastball was slower at the end of the year but I don't know like it wasn't that far from a good season it just feels bad 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 yeah because a reliever is going to necessarily be in games that are tight with runners on base and an erratic player feels worse yes totally it's like I'd rather eat at Olive Garden every day then have a 50% chance of either eating at a Michelin star restaurant or being poisoned. <laughs> In that scenario, just give me all the breadsticks because I don't want to die. Yeah, so Kimbrel is definitely the, uh, the sore thumb on my list, and I'm aware of that. I think the other interesting point on the list is that I'm really low on Josh Bell, unfortunately. Well, it's hard. If you, here's the problem. A lot of people saw Padres games down the stretch. And a lot of people saw the Padres in the playoffs, and Josh Bell was really, really awful in, yeah. in San Diego. I mean, I think Josh Bell is a league average first baseman, or maybe a little less than that. Uh, at least offensively, he's, I think, quite a poor defender at first base, which is you know tough to do at Reese Hoskins level. 
there, there's a reason that they basically DH'd him all the time rather than playing him at first when they could, the Padres. But I think that because he had such a strong start to the season with the Nationals, that there was kind of a, no, oh, this is, you know, Josh Bell's like a 130, 135, way to run creative plus kind of guy. And that's like, that's a first base star, not like a, not Paul Goldschmidt or anything, but that's a good player. But really, if you look at the season, yeah, he had some highs and some lows, but he was kind of just an average bat at first base. And so I think that he's going to get a little too much shine because, you know, he was an all-star. He mashed to start the season. He's had, he's capable of just incendiary stretches where he's just on fire for weeks at a time. But I just don't quite buy that the full season production is going to add up to that. And I think he just falls into that acceptable first base bat, like first base slash corner outfield bat, if that makes sense. And hey, Hosmer's not a free agent, so... so I mean, Bell's a, production is in a shape yeah, I like that, more than Hosmer's. I'd take Bell over Hosmer, but... Yeah, that was that was kind of mean, but I'm a little mean sometimes. Yeah, Josh Bell, great guy, but unfortunately, I think not a great free agent. When you were doing the top 50 this year, did you have a result in the end that surprised you? Because those are always some of the most fun things in lists. When you're writing the list and you don't expect someone to be somewhere, and then at the end, they kind of are, and you're like, oh, huh. Hmm. I had a few of those. Let me try to decide which one I think was most surprising. Well, I think Brandon Nimmo was higher than I expected going into this. And I just kept looking at like comparables and similar people with similar projections. I have some projections that I got from you at midseason and some steamer projections and like some Marcellish ones that I made myself for this. And he's just pretty good and not that old and plays a position that is valuable and plays it better than I thought he did. You know, I, I just, because I lived in New York when Brandon Nimmo was a very bad defensive outfielder, I just thought he was not good in center field. But I don't think there's a lot of uh, a lot of truth to that. He, he's actually pretty decent, and he's been pretty decent for a while. The other person that kind of surprised me was Tyler Anderson, where I just kept moving him up the list. And at first, I, was, I think I had him in the 30s or 40s, and then I'd look at people compared to him and think, oh, like, I'd rather have Anderson than this, and then this, and then this, and he ended up 17th, I think. I was actually a little surprised with Nimmo as well. Uh, because I did the write-up for Nimmo. Yeah. And at the time, there was kind of that rumor going around Twitter that the Rockies wanted to give him $120 million. And that sounded a little weird. But, you know, the more you look at Nimmo's history, the fact that he was healthy this year, and you say, eh, well, maybe. Yeah. There's not a lot of good outfielders available on the market. You look at who's out there, and there's a lot to like about Nimmo. He's improved in center field. He's not a drag out there. I don't think that the Rockies should be signing him, but I can see a team that's in contention like the Cubs, or wants to be in contention. I can see a team like the Cubs going after Nimmo uh, for long term and just sticking him in center. There are way worse ideas of what to do with $120 million than that. Yeah, I think the the thing that I started to come back to when I was looking at Nimmo is how different is he from George Springer in terms of like the profile going into free agency? I don't think he's that different, which sounds weird because, you know, George Springer was a marquee free agent and like kind of a can't miss guy. But Nimmo doesn't like the main thing that he's short relative to Springer is health, but he's not that short health relative to Springer. It's not like Springer is a model of health. He had a similar weighted runs created plus in his pre-free agency years. 134 for Springer, 134 for Nimmo. 136, I think, for Nimmo, actually. Sorry. So, you know, they're they're similar players. They're both kind of center field right fielders. I know Nimmo is a 134 as well. So they have the exact same in their their pre-free agency careers, which is neat. 
I I just don't quite see why Nemo isn't basically just George Springer 2.0. And I didn't at all think that going into this exercise. And I just kept looking for center fielders who were better bets than him and not finding them and not finding them historically. And finally I said, oh, yeah, he's he's probably going to get nine figures. Yeah, I... Uh- I mean, at the at the time that they hit free agency, uh, I was looking at it and like the OPS plus for Springer and Nimmo were, were identical at the portions. Nimmo's actually a year younger than Springer, which is small, but it does matter a bit yeah. because you're getting a year at 29 instead of a year at 34 or something like that. And that's like, yeah, yeah I, that's very you always make that swap. I think that some people are going to be surprised about the Nimmo contract. And I'm I'm aboard unless someone gives him 200 million dollars. There were lots of contract possibilities that I would have liked Chris Bryant signed for as opposed to the actual deal that was signed. I mean, if someone gives Nimmo, you know, six years, 200 million, which isn't going to happen. Yeah. Then I I think my jaw would drop and I kind of have the right to say something snarky about that. I'll be honest with you. I think he's going to get underpaid. Like, I think I'm going to like the deal that he signs for. I pushed his deal pretty hard because I could see that happening. You know, I don't have any inside information on any of these. If I did, that'd be cool. We could do a podcast about that. I could be Ken Rosenthal. But I I do think that teams aren't so uh, so tied to previous narratives as they used to be. And they're willing to kind of let their projections update and think about players as they look now. And you know, it looks pretty dang good right now. The, the health is basically the main concern. And if you're willing to kind of say, oh, it's a little scary, but he's been fully healthy in two of the last three years. And in the year where he wasn't fully healthy, he was a three and a half win player in half a season. Then like, yeah, okay, <laughs> I can talk myself into that. Just surprising because Brandon Nimmo did not feel like he was going to be this this tier of free agent. I think it's the last name. Nimmo doesn't sound like the name of a star. It sounds like a, a like a kid's show. I mean, his Twitter handle is You Found Nimmo. Yeah, it, it sounds like Nimmo, Finding Nimmo. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that has contributed to it. And the fact that he sprints to first base, like he's wearing, you know, like a 70s number and just made the roster out of spring training. He has the feel of a guy who is not there on talent. And so I, I think our brains kind of like rate him as though he's not there on talent. When in actuality, he hustles a lot and is also just talented. Now, looking at the players who didn't make the top 50, who do you think, who interests you the most as a signing? Would you just say, okay, you can't call this guy one of the top 50, but I'm intrigued. Yeah, so I'm going to leave Suarez out because that, that feels a little too easy. Yeah, we already talked about him. And if we yeah. we can't do reruns because then it won't really count as a thousand. It'll be a clip show then if we do reruns. So That's very true. I think the free agent who interests me the most, and largely because I'm just very curious how to think about this guy, is Jonathan Scope. Oh, never mind. He's uh, He chose not to opt out, so... We'll skip him. Oh, lame. I, I was very interested in what he was going to do. I was so disappointed when, when he was a prospect, and it's the first time you hear his name, and it's Scope and not Shoop. Because <laughs> Shoop is such a cool name. Shoop da doop. I was just very curious to see what would happen with a guy who looked unplayable offensively, and according to you know StatCast, but also some other defensive metrics, not everyone, but lots of them, just was an incredible defender. And I think is considered a really good defender. I wondered whether teams would expect the offense to bounce back, expect the defense to fall off, what was going to happen. My guess is that teams would kind of expect the defense to fall off and the offense to not bounce back. But I thought it was a very interesting consideration. With him choosing not to opt out, I will go to my backup option. And this is much more of a boom-bust type. Another player that I think some non-contending teams should sign is Gary Sanchez. Sign him... Like, try him at DH or first base. I think the catching thing is kind of over. 
for me at least. And look, when you look at those lists of hardest hit batted balls in the StatCast era, it's like all Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton and O'Neill Cruz and Gary Sanchez. Like there's some real raw gargantuan power there. And he's shown the ability to put it together into really good offensive seasons. He's only 30, which sounds, you know, it's not young, but it's not super old. And he's capable of really high offensive heights. Just you can't bet on that as the median outcome. So I, I see why teams, like I see why he's not in the top 50, but I would be very interested in signing him if I were a rebuilding team and could take kind of a, a little shot at it. Now we're probably running out of time, but before we go, I want your gut pick on Aaron Judge and his contract over or under 300. I'm going to say under, and I think it's going to surprise people in the end because teams are conservative. They're not going to give him a 12 year contract. So I'll say under, uh, but I want to get you so that if you say under two and he gets 400 million, I have someone to come along with me for the for the sadness because misery loves company. So I'm going to stick with my projections and I projected him over. So I will take over, you know, very conveniently, the median crowdsource is exactly $300 million. That so, feels like that feels like a cheat. Under 300 over 300. Well, how about 300? Well, I picked over. I projected him for more than the crowdsource. I gave him more years at a lower average annual value. So I'm going to go over. I think if we were playing the over-under contract game, like they do in Effectively Wild, I would stay away from Judge. It feels like there's not a lot of upside and not a lot of signal whether he's going to go over or under 300. Like, I think that's a pretty good market that you made. Just, you know, the big round number. But I think the Yankees are going to end up bidding against the Mets a little bit and bidding against the specter of the Mets a little bit and signing him early in the offseason. And just say, like, look, we can't walk away from this disappointing season without Aaron Judge. So I, I don't know if that's the, the correct, you know, EV play. But I just think it would be so embarrassing for them to end up without Judge that they'll find a way to do it. Yeah, because you don't want to lose your, your players to the Mets. Well, you, you especially don't want to do it after the guy just had the best season in a very long time in a Yankees uniform and like basically was dragging your team to the playoffs by the end. And then he leaves for the other team that you know was about as good as you this year, actually won more games. I, th- I think it would feel really bad for the Yankees. And so I think they'll maybe there's $30 million of uneconomic money earmarked for Judge to keep the Mets off of him. Now, they're not going to sign him, but... Who would you pick as the craziest team to dip their toes into the judge thing? I kind of feel like the Cubs are going to make a bid. I think the Cubs are going to be in on a lot of people this year. One thing that confuses me a little bit is that the Cubs were talking like they were going to do that last year. And they they really didn't, right? They added Marcus Stroman, but then they kind of, you know, they, they got Saya, but they signed him to a longer deal, not thinking that this year was going to be it for that. And... They continued to kind of sell assets on the team during the year, like sell players, uh, like look to the future wherever they could. And they're talking as though there's a lot more money to be spent. But I'll kind of believe it when I see it. It, it feels like when these rebuilding teams get into this mode, they they come out of it more slowly than I ever would. And that that's kind of a, a feature for the owners, right? Like they probably want that. They probably want it to go slower so that they can, A, keep selling the masses on the fact that they'll be good again someday. And B, spend less money. So I'm I'm a little skeptical of the Cubs, but they're a real wild card this offseason. I feel like the Red Sox are a wild card in a different way, where we don't know what their long-term plans are with Devers. Bogarts is obviously a free agent now. He opted out. J.D. Martinez opted out. Or his contract ended. He chose not to opt out last year, and then his contract ended this year. 
So they have a lot of money coming off the books. And I don't know, is Heinblum a, a tanker? Is he a Dombrowski-esque wheel and deal rebuilder or like retooler? Is he going to try to get in the Trey Turner market? Is he going to try to get Aaron Judge? I mean, that would be seismically AL East altering if the Red Sox ended up with Judge. It'd be kind of amazing. If you're the Yankees, who do you hate to see Judge go to more, Mets or Red Sox? Red Sox. Definitely Red Sox. You're going to play him 19 or I guess fewer now, 13 times a year or whatever. And it's just the team that you've hated the most always. I guess you'd see him more on like billboards and stuff if it was the Mets. But I think the Red Sox comfortably. I actually have kind of a like a feeling in my stomach that the Red Sox are going to actually go more the opposite route. I think that if they don't get uh, a Devers signed to a long-term contract, I think that they're going to trade him this winter if they don't get him him to a deal. Uh, you look at who they're kind losing. Kind of a mini reset. Because they've they've never really done a full reset. They've kind of retooled. Even when they traded uh, a Mookie Betts to the Dodgers, it wasn't really a precursor to a, a a slash and burn rebuild. They just kind of shifted things around a little bit. But you you kind of look at them and 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 losing Bogarts and 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 Martinez is bad. Even if you don't necessarily want to resign Martinez, it's still another bat you have to lose. And and having Hosmer probably for three years unless they just cut him. And you look at their pitching. Ovaldi's gone. It's it's not a deep team. And yeah. I I kind of think that. If you can't sign Devers, maybe the team trades him. I think there's more of an argument to trade Devers in that situation than Mookie Betts in that actual situation, simply because I think that the Red Sox were better at the time they traded Betts than they are right now. Yeah. So I think there's a real chance that, that you do see him go full-on sale uh, to a degree or another. Not full-on Chris sale, but... Yeah, if they do that, then obviously they're they're going to really shake up the market because they put a lot of players into the free agent market. And generally there's this equilibrium where when there are more players in the market, there are more teams trying to sign good players because they've lost those players. And thus the larger the player logjam, the larger the bitter logjam as well. And it kind of works itself out. Now, if you have a team like the Red Sox just saying, ah, you know what? Baseball, it's really hard. Uh, let's, let's focus on capital accumulation for a few years instead. That's much better. Then it gets a little bit trickier and, you have to hope if you're a free agent that somebody like the Cubs is trying to step into the void where they haven't been previously spending. You know, the Cubs lost no free agents of note other than Wilson Contreras. And I don't actually think he's going to resign with the Cubs. I think they would have gotten something done beforehand if that was going to happen. So yeah, I think that the Red, what the Red Sox do could, could matter a lot for what happens in this free agency period. And I definitely think they're alive to just fold it all up, just go into a full rebuild. They, they hired a guy from the Rays, you know, not that the Rays are rebuilders, but the Rays are low payrollers. And maybe they'll be looking to try to do that again, try to build out their system into a Rays-y system and be willing to step back for a few years at the major league level while doing so. I kind of hope not. It's no fun when the Red Sox aren't good. I think them being good as a foil to the rest of the AL East is just enjoyable. For Why me. can't the Orioles be the foil? Damn you. Oh, I, I would want all five of them to be good. I liked it a lot better than the Orioles were good, too. My mom's a big O's fan, so. Let the Red Sox have a break. The Orioles will take their wins for them. That's fair. Because, again, for, for listeners who aren't familiar, I'm from Baltimore, so I'm pretty excited to have uh, the Orioles could have an interesting offseason. I would love to see them go after Carlos Rodon. I, I think that they're finally at the point where it does make sense to add free agents. So if the Red Sox going full Pirates this year, it helps make that happen. You can you can sign me up. 
Yeah, I I went to my first baseball game at Memorial Stadium. I was like three months old or something, so I don't actually remember it. But I was born in the D.C. area and still have family there and like both D.C. teams, you know, as a neutral quite a lot because they're they're fun. It's fun when they're good. And the D.C. Baltimore area is a lot more fun when there's baseball going on. And the Nationals are not going to be good. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that was that was implied. I should have said it. <laughs> They're going to have to change their name to the Washington Locals because there's nothing national about this team. <laughs> the Regionals. The re- no, they're down to Locals. This isn't even a regional team. <laughs> to go to a Nats game next year, it's people who were going to a restaurant near the stadium somewhere, if there is even, it's not really a busiest area, who lost their reservation and had to find something else to do. That's, that's, the, that's a Washington National fan in 2023. Are there a lot of restaurants in the Navy Yards? I didn't think so. No, well, I mean, there aren't, but but for this theoretical, there are. You have to pretend sometimes. Where's your sense of whimsy and wonder? My mom went to a game there this year, and it rained. And, you know, that's just, wow. That's the kind of bad luck you can only get in a Nationals season. It seems like as good of a note as any to end this on. Uh, here's to you not being a Nationals fan next year, because it, it feels like it, it's going to be a tough one for them for the next little bit. And here's to another thousand episodes of Fangraphs Audio over the next, uh, Dylan, how many years? Ten years. Over the next ten years. So we have to record more than we are. Yeah, twice a week, Carson was doing? More than that, I guess. Wow. Well, for Fangraphs Audio, I'm Dan Zimborski. And I'm Ben Clemens. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Thank you so much for listening and for looking back with us. Here's to a thousand more episodes. If you enjoyed the show today or ever, consider recommending it to a friend or two. It helps us out. And don't forget to visit the Fangraphs.com shop to pick up some Fangraphs merch or an ad-free membership, good for yourself or as a gift for a friend. And we of course have the Fangraphs smartphone app, free on Apple Store and Google Play, as well as the Fangraphs newsletter, great for keeping up on all our big news. We hope you have a good week, get ready for hot stove season, we'll talk to you next time.